G'day everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Road Less Travelled podcast, brought to you in conjunction with our production crew of Fat Cat Media. A warm welcome to you, we trust that you're enjoying all the episodes that we're putting together on the Road Less Travelled podcast, and don't forget of course you can catch up with previous episodes, just jump onto our website fatcatmedia.com.au, or you can join us on the Road Less Travelled podcast on Instagram and also on our Facebook page as well. This week we thought we'd continue our look at regional Victoria during the various stages of lockdown and we checked out this little beauty that kind of went back to my roots during schooling when we had to do a essay I think every child of the 70s and 80s had to do an essay and review on Australian movies or Australian books made into movies this one might be a favourite that you may remember What we see and what we seem are but a dream fortunate in the weather for our picnic to Hanging Rock. I have instructed Mademoiselle that as the day is likely to be warm, you may remove your gloves once the drag has passed through Wood End. We'll partake of luncheon at the picnic grounds near the rock. Once again, let me remind you, the rock itself is extremely dangerous. You are therefore forbidden any tomboy foolishness in the matter of exploration, even on the lower slopes. That was, of course, the excerpts from the trailer of the 1975 film, the Australian film, Picnic at Hanging Rock. It was adapted from a novel published in 1967 by Australian author Joan Lindsay, and it's known as one of her best-known works. She wrote the novel over a four-week period at her home at Mulberry Hill in Baxter on Victoria's Mornington Peninsula, and she constructed it around the real-life Hanging Rock, a monolith that had fascinated her since childhood. She compared the story to the work of Henry James, citing the book about children in a haunted house with a governess being the turn of the screw. The novel is a historical fiction, though Lindsay dropped hints that it was based on actual events and it is framed as such in the novel's introduction. At ending, that explained the girl's fates in draft form was excised by her publisher prior to publication. The final chapter was published only in 1987 as a standalone book titled The Secret of Hanging Rock and also included critical commentary and interpretive theories on the novel. Joan Lindsay based Appleyard College, the setting of the, number of the novel, on the school that she had attended, Clyde Girls Grammar School or Clyde School in East St Kilda in Melbourne, which in 1919 was transferred to Woodend in Victoria. 
and it was in, of course, in the immediate vicinity of Hanging Rock. In a 1974 interview, Lindsay addressed readers and critics questioning about the novel's ambiguous conclusion, saying then, well, it was written as a mystery and it remains a mystery. If you can draw your own conclusions, that's fine, but I don't think that it matters. I wrote that book as a sort of atmosphere as a place, and it was like dropping a stone into the water. I felt that story, if you call it a story, that the thing that happened on St Valentine's Day went on spreading out and out and out in circles. The novel's ambiguous conclusion led to significant interest from both public and critical readers, and the novel has drawn comparisons from literary critics to the works of E.M. Forster and Nathaniel Hawthorne. It was made into a 1975 feature film by producers Patricia Lovell, Hal and Jim McElroy and director Peter Weir, which was hailed as initiating the revival of Australian cinema. A reprinting of the novel in 1975 by Penguin Books in Australia sailed over 350,000 copies, making it Penguin Australia's best-selling novel to date, second overall only to Albert Facey's autobiography, A Fortunate Life. Is it real? Well, yes, it is a real location. You head north from Melbourne past Tullamarine Freeway, out through Sunbury, out through uh, Gisborne, out through Woodend, uh, through the Macedon Ranges, and it's just outside of Newnham in in Victoria, so through the Macedon Regional Park, and it's definitely a place that you can visit. So where, in, where else in Australia will you find the Black Hole of Calcutta? the eagle, the chapel and lover's leap. Let the secrets of Hanging Rock unfold before your very eyes as you wind your way up the pinnacle where spectacular views await. Now, at Hanging Rock Reserve, there are hands-on interpretive displays and informative panels on the Hanging Rock Discovery Centre. They provide a fascinating background on the history, mystery and geology of the rock. Hanging Rock is also a favourite gathering place for families with wide expanses of lawn for game playing, free electric barbecues, picnic areas and picnic tables dotted all around the reserve. And they love to try and mix fact with fiction and try and put a bit of mystery around Hanging Rock with the unexplained disappearance of a group of schoolgirls at Hanging Rock in 1901. It's just one of the legends of this mysterious area so many visitors say they can feel the spirit of the girls as they climb the rock. Joan Lindsay's book and Peter Weir's film about Picnic and Hanging Rock ensures that the mystery lives on. We'll get back to that in a moment. What can you do at Hanging Rock Reserve? Well, your day at Hanging Rock Reserve includes more than just the famous pinnacle walk to the summit of Hanging Rock. There's numerous pram-friendly walking paths they weave through the reserve, and that allows close access to the flora and fauna. Many visitors add a visit to Hanging Rock Cafe afterwards for lunch and a glass of wine or coffee and cake. Picnics and barbecues with stunning views to Hanging Rock are very popular and these larger groups also have a reserve a number of covered barbecue picnic shelters. Families love fishing for trout in the dam there too so make sure that if you do visit you take your fishing rod and try your luck and also don't forget your fishing licence. And of course the summit climb is a highlight. There's wide sealed paths that make the walk reasonably easy for people of average fitness. There's over 40 species of birds' nests around the reserve, including bright rosellas and cockatoos, while mammals like the greater glider enjoy towering eucalyptus, and you may even spot native species such as koala, kangaroo, wallaby and echidna. Hanging Rock also provides a stunning backdrop for pretty exciting events too, such as the Hanging Rock picnic races, which are on New Year's Day and Australia Day. They also allow vintage car displays, there's markets, fun runs and concerts. You can even experience an annual outdoor cinema screening for the film's famous film, Picnic at Hanging Rock, or take part in a campout. 
There's also ranger guided night walks also held during the warmer months. And you can also, uh, if you don't feel like packing a picnic or you need a coffee or a beer after your hike, the Hanging Rock Cafe is the answer. It's nestled within the reserve and offers indoor dining with a warm fire in winter, outdoor dog-friendly dining under gum trees and shady umbrellas. It is open every day except Christmas Day, and you do have to pay a fee as well. Um, And access to Hanging Rock itself, it's not permitted on days where the winds are about 40 kilometres an hour, are forecast by the Bureau of Meteorology um, because of the dangers to people and also fire dangers as well. So you're looking around about 10 bucks a car to get in. Um, and if you're planning to visit often, you can actually buy yourself a Hanging Rock annual pass. They do allow dogs. It's a pet-friendly welcome at the reserve, um, but they must be kept on a leash at all times. And they don't allow drones there either. So if you're going to fly your drone, don't do it. Um, Heading out towards Hanging Rock, it's um, definitely a day trip out past Woodend in Victoria, a lovely place to visit and there's plenty of opportunities to do a heap of walks throughout there and sometimes a day trip doesn't do it justice. We started off with a bit of a hike at Hanging Rock, as I said the fee, 10 bucks a car. You can do various trails to various rock formations and reach the summit, which can take just about an hour, an hour and a half, depending on how long you dawdle and examine each area. That also includes the return trip. So the hike does get a little bit confusing and rocking towards the end. There are arrows leading to different trails, but um, just use the map that is provided. Embrace the adventurous side, and whatever you decide to do, you should experience an incredible and elated feeling when you get to the top. There's also a lookout called Camel's Hump. That's the highest point located in the Macedon Regional Park and located about 20 minutes away from Hanging Rock. The return trip to reach the top and enjoy the view is also about 20 minutes. It's a little bit more straightforward than the Hanging Rock Walk itself. There's also a nearby uphill road called Straws Lane where apparently if you put your car in neutral, it pulls your car up the road. Uh, We didn't drop by, but if you're interested in this area, have a look at the detailed maps that they do provide. We had a look at some private gardens as well. We discovered Forest Glade and there's plenty of lovely gardens in that area as well that are uh, open with bright and colour, illuminated by the autumn leaves. There's just natural scattered leaves. It's just a beautiful place, Uh, some themed areas along there. Plus, we stopped at Trentham Falls, which is a bit further out, about 35 to 40 minutes out, and uh, it's very special. Signs telling you not to go down. There's a view that's pretty spectacular uh, when there's a lot of water flowing too so uh, plenty of things that you do is jam-packed today with a lot of adventures some glorious views um, and just uh, a dose of various cultures that you can uh, have a look at nice to explore an area in Victoria that we've heard so much about So there was two movies made of uh, Joan Lindsay's novel. The first was the 1975 Australian mystery film, as we said, um, directed by Peter Weir. It starred Rachel Roberts, uh, Dominic Gard, Helen Wiles, Vivian Gray and Jackie Weaver. It was um, adapted by Cliff Green from Joan Lindsay's novel and it was deliberately ambiguous about whether the events had actually taken place. The plot involves the disappearance of several schoolgirls and their teacher during a picnic at Hanging Rock, Victoria, on Valentine's Day in 1900, and the subsequent effect on the local community. Picnic at Hanging Rock was a commercial and critical success and helped draw international attention to the then-emerging Australian new wave of cinema. The plot is at Appleyard College, a girls' private school near the town of Woodend in Victoria. Students are getting ready on the morning of Valentine's Day 1900. 
One student, an orphan named Sarah, has a deep connection with her elder roommate, Miranda. The school's austere headmistress, Mrs Appleyard, has arranged a picnic to a local geological formation known as Hanging Rock, accompanied by the peculiar mathematics teacher, Miss Greta McCraw, and the young French teacher, Mademoiselle de Poitiers. Mrs Appleyard keeps Sarah and jittery teacher, Miss Lumley, at the college. Buggy operator Ben Hussey gets the group at Hanging Rock by mid-afternoon, where they picnic at its base. Mr Hussey notes his pocket watch has stopped at the 12th, at the stroke of 12, as has Miss McCraws. With permission from Mademoiselle de Portiers, Miranda and classmate Marion, Irma and Edith decide to explore Hanging Rock. The group is soon observed crossing a creek by a young Englishman, Michael Fitzhubert, along with Albert, his friend, and the coachman from the Fitzhubert family. After exploring the rock for a while, Miranda, Marion and Irma remove their shoes and stockings near the summit, seemingly under the influence of an unknown force. The four collapse and fall asleep next to the monolith. Everyone at the picnic spot is apparently asleep as well, except for Miss McCraw, who looks at her geometry textbook and up at the rock. The four awaken synchronously and as if in trance, all except Edith move up into the crevice. Witnessing this, Edith suddenly screams and flees down the rock in terror. The girls have disappeared. The novel, as we know, published in the late 60s. Reading it four years later, Patricia Lovell thought it would make a great film, but she did not originally think of producing it herself until Philip Adams suggested that she try it. Then she optioned the film rights in 1973, paying $100 for three months. She hired Peter Weir to direct on the basis of his homesdale, and Weir brought in Hal and Jim McElroy to help produce. Screenwriter David Williamson originally was chosen to adapt the film but was unavailable and recommended noted TV writer Cliff Green. Joan Lindsay had approved whoever did the adaptation and she gave it to Green whose first draft, Lovell said, was excellent. The finalised budget was $440,000 coming from the Australian Film Development Corporation, British Empire Films and the South Australian Film Corporation. $3,000 of that came from private investors, and I must say that amount of money in 1974-75 was huge, considering you could buy a house for around about $30,000 in those days. Filming began in February 1975, with principal photography taking six weeks. Locations included Hanging Rock in Victoria, Martindale Hall near Mintaro in rural South Australia, and the studio of the South Australian Film Corporation in Adelaide. To achieve the look of the impressionist painting for the film, director Weir and director of cinematography Russell Boyd were inspired by the work of British photographer and film director David Hamilton, who, knew, who had draped different types of veils over his camera lens to produce diffused and soft focus image. Boyd created the dreamy look of many scenes by placing simple bridal veil fabric of various thickness over the camera lenses, and the film was edited by Max Lemon. The music was uh, derived from two traditional Romanian panpipe pieces and became synonymous with the film. And um, that album Flute de Pan de Orge, I think it's called, Music for Picnic and Hang Rock, was released by Festival Records. The film premiered on the 8th of August 1975 at the Heinle Cinema Complex in Adelaide. It was well received by audiences and critics alike. It grossed over $5,120,000 in box office sales in Australia, and that's equivalent to about $23 million uh, in around about 2016. They decided that, that was the amount. The legacy of the film was a, another film was made for um, Netflix in 2018 as well. Uh, it was a, a TV series. So if you have the opportunity to 
visit uh, Hanging Rock do so because it's fitted into it's fitted a lot into its six million years of history from a sacred place for local Indigenous people and the backdrop to Joan Lindsay's book. It has a colourful host of music concerts, markets, popular horse races. The Rock tells many tales about the history of the Macedon Ranges. It uh, is a rare volcanic formation located near the townships of Woodend and Mount Macedon, and it is one of the best examples of a volcanic plug or mammalian, they call it, in the world. It has been exposed to considerable weathering and erosion, resulting in a conglomeration of really unusual rock formations. The Hanging Rock Reserve is significant at the state level for the following reasons. It is historically significant as an early and popular recreational destination and meeting place for Victorians. The distinctive and rare geological formation of Hanging Rock attracted a large number of visitors from as early as the 1860s to congregate, be entertained, climb the Hanging Rock formation and participate in outdoor sport and leisure activities in a unique and highly picturesque setting. The Hanging Rock Reserve illustrates the great popularity of outdoor pursuits, particularly in the 19th and the early 20th century. It has historically significant Um, for its association with horse racing in Victoria Victoria from the 1860s to the present day. The race course there has been in use since 1878 and it shows how popular racing is in the rural communities of Victoria. The unusual formations of Hanging Rock, as we know, they've brought many visitors to the area, including um, arts, crafts, artists, writers and film crew. The production of the book and the film of Picnic at Hanging Rock again increased increased the population of Hanging Rock Reserve. It's also been listed on the Victorian Heritage Register and they're currently doing a cultural heritage management plan for the various work in Hanging Rock funded by the Council and the Australian Government. It relates to the proposed works only, um, not really Hanging Rock in general, but the proposed works of the reserve. So the the significance of it, it's um, like a geographic profile of it as well as unreal because um, most of that area is of uh, volcanic 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 uh, origins. So uh, it's certainly very interesting from a scientific and a geological aspect as well. It's a very, very pretty place to, to visit. So I do urge you, if you have the opportunity to make it, uh, I'll put it on your bucket list and, and check out Hanging Rock in the Mount Macedon Ranges of Victoria. And whilst you're in the area, there's also other destinations that you can choose. Dalesford, where you can lead a double life in Dalesford, which is a village dedicated to well-being in the heart of Victoria's spa country, just a stone's throw from Melbourne. Speaking of spas, you can indulge in the enriching effects of natural mineral waters at Hepburn Springs, from luxury spas to food, wine and the lush, fertile environment of Hepburn Springs. Kyneton, uh, you can visit that for your next regional food and wine adventure destination. It's a gourmet village that punches well above its weight. And of course, Mount Macedon, you can discover the imposing mansions, wonderful wineries, glorious gardens and stunning views. Uh, Just some of the places that you can visit in the area of the Macedon Ranges and beyond. Uh, Dalesford really encourage you to get out there and explore some of these places, make it a day trip or pack the car, take time out to invigorate your body and mind and reignite your imagination amongst the spectacular forests, the natural mineral waters, the historic villages of the Dalesford and Macedon Ranges 
region and of course rejuvenate at the mineral spas and the wellness retreats to be inspired by the landscapes there's plenty of galleries and indulge in exquisite food and wine across the area for more information you can jump on to visitmelbourne.com and check out dalesford and the macedon ranges we'll be back with more of the road less travel podcast right after this stay tuned the road less traveled podcast is a proudly australian fiercely independent podcast hosted and produced by me nikki shea for fat cat media we receive no corporate payments which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support if you can and are able to we would love you to support us via patreon Listen to the Road Less Travelled podcast on Google Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcast. The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast, hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travelled podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. Whether you're out on the road, if you're out camping or you're holed up at home, camp oven pizza, you ask. Yes, it is totally possible to make a pizza in a camp oven and I think I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't like the humble meal. It is an absolute winner with everyone. From vegetations, vegetarians to dedicated carnivores, from pineapple petal to people to anchovy tragics, yuck. This camp oven pizza recipe is one for all. There's a couple of ways camp oven pizza can be constructed, and it's entirely up to you which method you pursue. The first is probably a little easier and quicker as you use those pre-made flatbreads or pre-made bases. These can be readily purchased from the supermarket, but they can be a little bit tiresome to try and um, store while you're travelling. You might like to have a go at making it, uh, making your own at home from bread mix before you leave or take the bread mix with you. Flatbreads are dead easy to make when you are on the road and don't need to be cooked in an oven, just a large fry pan, and they can be made anywhere. The second way requires you to make bases from scratch from bread mix. It takes a little more time, but the results are delicious. And, of course, the choice of toppings, well, that is entirely up to the individual. And this could be a great opportunity for a group to all get together and bring a selection of different toppings to make some really amazing creations. The secret to a good pizza is to only have about four toppings. Cut everything really, really small and don't overload the pizza as it will just take longer to cook. It's also a fantastic way to get the kids involved too. Perfectly cooking a pizza, well, you need a hot camp oven of at least 200 degrees with most of the heat put on the lid and for once all over the lid, not just around the outer edge. A cast iron camp oven will need a little bit more time to heat up, although the cast iron one will maintain its heat a lot longer. If you're unsure of the temperature of your camp oven, get yourself a good barbecue temperature gauge and you can place that into the camp oven five minutes before you're ready to cook. It will tell you exactly how hot it is and then you have time to cool it down by taking away some of the coals or by heating it up by adding more coals or even some small pieces of wood to the lid. Always, no matter what you're cooking, have less coals underneath and more on top as they're easier to manage and the food is less likely to burn on its bottom. I found that those small pizza trays available from um, like Coles, Woolworths, whatever, they're great. They fit easily into a large uh, oven. And if your camp oven is a, a smaller one, get a sheet of baking powder 
on top that fits inside the camp oven works a real treat. Just make sure that your pizza is a couple of centimetres smaller than the inside of your camp oven so it's easy to lift in and out. If your camp oven is hot enough, it only should take you around about 15 minutes before you're all dining on your very own delicious creation. Now that you have all the instructions, it is over to you to use your imagination and have a go at camp oven pizza. It is dead set easy. You can put in whatever you want. You take um, like some tomato paste with you so that you've already got your base made. Um, if you're taking one of those pre-made bases, take that with you. Tomato paste on there and whatever. If you want ham on there, if you want chicken, cheese, tomato, whatever you want on there. But chop, cut it up nice and tiny and small and uh, just a great way to have pizza out on the road. And it's a good way to, as I mentioned, to get the kids involved in preparation of some dinner as well. If, like us, you travel with your dog, finding a pet bed that is suitable can be a little bit tricky. So we've, we used to persevere with little dog mattresses until we stumbled across the King's Folding Pet Bed from 4-Wheel Drive Supercenter. We're not affiliated with them at all. Just a good little bit of kit that we found. It has a 50 kilogram weight rating. It's foldable design for easy transport. It's got a tough 13 millimeter steel frame. It's PVC coated polyester bed and it includes a little carry bag. It, um, it is a foldable uh, little bed, as I said, for the pooch. If your dog is anything like our dog, they love to stretch out. And this thing is super comfy. It folds out probably uh, around about two, I'd say, what's it, two and a half to three meters. It has the 50 kilogram weight rating, super strong, and uh, perfect for all but the biggest breeds. Um, a great weight. It's easy to clean. Um, it's insanely durable. Um, I can even lay on it as well. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. It folds up for easy transport in a concluded little carry bag. Takes up less space than most sleeping bags. It's 600 millimetres high, so it gets the animals up off the ground. Uh, so it is 199 millimetres long, so 1.9. Um, and 1. 1.7, what's that, 1,700 millimetres wide when packing it up. Um, it can be pegged down on the ground as well, so you can keep your mate from wandering, wandering off while you're trying to set up camp. When it's uh, assembled, it's 210 millimetres off the ground, um, 1170 millimetres in length, so what's that? Uh, yep, just over a metre and a bit. And it is 610 millimetres uh, in width. So the length and the width, it's awesome. As I said, when it folds up, 190 millimetres um, tall, 170 millimetres wide, and uh, no, no, it's, I beg my pardon, I've told you, like 600 millimetres by 190 millimetres when you fold it up. That's better. You can also buy different, um, different sizes as well, but we found that one just a, a ripping one. As I said, we've got no affiliation with them at all, didn't get any discounts. Uh, if you've got something you want us to review... Uh, drop us a line and as I said this is a great little bit of kit it's really durable uh, easy to clean and it keeps pooch up off the ground so they don't get um, troubled by ants or little biteys and it's got a little pegging down thing as well so you can keep uh, pooch tied up while you're setting up camp and um, while you're in camp as well so if you've got something you want us to review or have a look at drop us a line email is fatcat at iinet.net.au we'd love to hear from you and whilst we're on the subject of travelling with dogs, it's worth keeping in mind that there is quite a significant disease that affects dogs and is carried by a tick-borne bacteria. It's called the, um, it's, I don't know how you pronounce this tick, but it's called, well, I think it's Urchilichiasis, E-H-R-L-I-C-H-I-O-S-I-S in dogs. It's the brown 
dog tick, which is present across northern Australia, and it's the main carrier of this disease, and transmission only occurs through infected ticks. Infected dogs do not directly transmit the diseases to other dogs. It was first uh, incurred, the first detection was in May 2020 in the north of WA, including Halls Creek, Kununurra, the Kimberley regions of Broome and Derby, Pilbara regions of South Headland and Port Headland. And in 2020, the disease was also confirmed in dogs in the Northern Territory town of Catherine and west of Alice Springs. March this year, results from a national surveillance program confirmed that disease is also established in the far north of South Australia. It is more prevalent than perhaps we would know. Uh, check requirements before travelling with your dog. Movement conditions are in place for dogs travelling out of the Kimberley and WA where the disease has established to southern areas of WA and conditions are also placed on dogs entering southern WA from northern territory. Have a look at your, and also infected dogs don't transmit this disease to people. However, in rare cases, infected ticks may infect people. Australian Government Department of Health has information on their website about ticks and human health precautions. Advice for dog owners. You can do a number of things to help prevent this disease in your dogs. Have your dog on a tick control program if living in or travelling to areas where the brown dog tick is present, such as in northern, northern Australia, but hey, just do it in any way. Use repellent tick collars and spot-ons are the best primary protection in combination with tablets and choose registered for tick control. Where possible, avoid taking your dogs into tick-infested areas. Inspect your dogs daily for ticks, especially if they've been in a tick-infested area. You simply run your fingers through your dog's coat over their skin and feel for abnormal lumps. Pay particular attention to the head and neck inside their ears, on their chest, between their toes and around their mouths and gums. If you are travelling with your dogs, be particularly vigilant about tick-infested environments and congregations of dogs which may be carrying ticks. This includes places where you may stop at like fuel stations and caravan parks. Contact your nearest vet if your dog is showing any signs of the disease which may include fever, lethargy, enlarged lymph nodes, loss of appetite, discharge from the eyes and nose, weight loss, anemia and bleeding disorders such as nosebleeds or bleeding under the skin that looks like small spots, patches or bruising. This disease requires veterinary treatment and supportive care. It can also resemble other conditions with similar signs, including tick-borne diseases such as anaplomosis and babyloss. I don't even know what they are. But just contact your vet if you have a dog that is unwell because early treatment provides the best chance of them to recover. It's a nationally notifiable disease. This means if you suspect your dog is showing signs of disease, you need to seek veterinary advice. You or your vet then can report the disease by calling the Emergency Animal Disease Watch hotline on 1-800-675-888. It is a disease that is, is quite substantial. The government is responding to it. Check out www.outbreak.gov.au, current responses to outbreaks, and uh, that is on their website. It is quite a substantial disease. Another thing while you're talking about having pooches and animals on the road is there is significant baiting of 1080 around. Um, make sure that you put a muzzle on your dog when you're in, in these areas because the dogs will pick up baits because the baits are there to stop wild animals uh, breeding such as foxes and wild dogs and so forth. So the baits are set for them. Your dog won't know the difference. So please make sure that you put a muzzle on your dog when you are in an area known to be baited or even if you're unsure. That wraps up this week's edition of the Road Less Travel Podcast. We look forward to your company next week. I hope to see you somewhere on the Road Less Travelled. My name is Nikki Shea and I'll see you then. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. This has been the Road Less Travelled, a podcast about travelling and camping on the road. Written and hosted by me, Nikki Shea, produced by Fat Cat Media. 
If you have enjoyed this podcast, we'd love you to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Even better, please leave a review. Any comments or questions, please email fatcat at iinet.net.au and to be notified on the new episodes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed.